Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, colon, Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Happy New Year, Ben. Happy New Year. Uh, I I don't know why, but it feels like it's been a really long time since we've done this. I think it has been. I think it's been a couple weeks. Man. But to the viewer, that passage of time is imperceptible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we're rec- we're recording this in November. We're way, way, way ahead. Yeah, uh, we're anticipating a very busy start to the new year. Uh, you know, we're coming right up on the launch of Friendly Fire, <laughs> yeah! our new show with John Roderick. So it's true that that's really exciting. We also uh, have our very exciting live show at San Francisco it- Sketchfest. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm betting that tickets are sold out by now. But we have no way of knowing that. That is a, an optimistic prediction, but uh, it would be a correct prediction given the track record we've had with live shows. Yeah, so if uh, if you if you go on bit.ly slash ggff sketchfest and, uh, and you see some tickets available, snatch them up. Not going to want to miss it. It's going to be a really fun show. This is a, got to tell you, like this venue, Ben, has a balcony. Did you see that? Yeah. We have a fun track record at shows with balconies. Like, yeah, this is, a, this is a statistic that I'm keeping track of. Yeah, uh, we've had we, we have people making out in balconies. Mm-hmm. We've had an attempted scarf throw up into a balcony. Yeah, that I that I don't believe succeeded. It was too far well, away. We are nerds <laughs> with no athletic ability to speak of. So uh, nerds with blown out rotator cuffs. <laughs> How did you blow that out, Adam? Our first back-to-back double bill uh, podcast was done at a venue with a balcony. That was our our one in Chicago, right? Yeah, and this is kind of like that because we're gonna do our greatest gen show, and then we're gonna like run backstage for five minutes, and then come right back out and do a second show of uh, Friendly Fire, and uh, it's gonna be intense. You remember when we got off stage after the Chicago show's second show and we were like, <laughs> let us never do two in one night again. We promised each other, Ben. That was that was a challenge. And then Roderick was like, hey, do you guys want to do a double header? <laughs> we're like, yes. I was like, yeah, as long as you do all the work. And here we are. Yeah. The, uh, the theme of that night is going to be pacing ourselves. Yeah. I don't know if my bladder could stand... Uh, two straight hours on stage. I'm really glad we're going to have that mini intermission. <laughs> I was thinking about uh, investing in a stadium pal for that show. Sure. I, I mean, I thought you were going to go straight for astronaut diaper. Stadium <laughs> pal uh, seems like the sort of thing that would make a lot of noise that would be read on the mic. I thought it would just be like, I would be mid-sentence and then I'd be... Uh, uh. <laughs> of course I feed my pants. Everybody my age pees their pants. It's the coolest. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess even even without the sound of you making water, uh, you yourself would give it away with your mm-hmm. extreme sense of joy and relief. Losing, losing my train of thought because I have to focus on something much more important. Uh, well, uh, remains to be seen 
how uh, both our bladders and livers will live up to the challenge of that yeah. sketch Nobody has show. ever attempted to sell tickets to a, a live podcast by threatening to maybe pee on stage. <laughs> I think Gallagher probably did that, right? Yeah. Did he have a pod? He'd uh, he'd fill up a zip a gallon size Ziploc bag with his urine and then smash it with a giant hammer. <laughs> the first four rows will get wet. <laughs> ben, I was at uh, Disneyland last week, and one of the signs on the rides that I went on said uh, said You will get wet. You may get soaked. That's uh, that seems to me like a greatest gen promise. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's uh. A commitment we can make to anybody, no matter where they're sitting in the house. You will get wet. You may get soaked. Well, I think uh, one of the signposts that you might see before watching the episode we're going to review, Ben, might be, uh, you might get bored. You will get sleepy. Oh, Adam. <laughs> this is this is like people are turning on us because of shit like this. People really are. Someone... I don't know if it was on Twitter or somewhere else was like, boy, you can just hear Adam's resignation in every intro and outro to the show. I'm like, that's not resignation, man. That is not resignation at all. That's me trying to come up with a fun button. I've got button <laughs> duty on this show now after you, you gave it to me after TNG finished. And my openings are, are just as punchy as ever, I think. Well, uh, just to uh, just to provide some some clarity and some contrast, uh, I'll say that I think this may be the first great episode of Deep Space Nine. Well, I'm ready to argue that point with you, Ben. <laughs> and I argue a lot of points about season one, episode twelve, Battle Lines. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no. Of course you don't. So the, uh, the cold open here is Dax and O'Brien have found some files encrypted in the command computer or something. And one of them is like a dossier on uh, Major Kira that was kept by the previous occupant of Cisco's office, Gil Ducat. And uh, they, they let her read it. And uh, Nana Visitor has, you know, a fun little character turn where she's like, oh, I don't care what those assholes wrote about me. I'm a big girl, Commander. And then she like storms out of the office a second later and is very insulted that they did not rate her as being much of a much of a threat to them. A minor operative whose activities are limited to running errands for the terrorist leaders. Major. I was super disappointed that they didn't punch into the obvious uh, Kira Norris glamour shot that they had in the file, yeah. <laughs> like that was a full-on mall photograph of her. Yeah. Do you think they have a glamour shots on the promenade? I bet they do. Like uh, if you go to the if you go to the uh, dry cleaners on yeah. the promenade, they have headshots of all the command staff. Well, I was thinking like like in a in a strip mall, you'd get the glamour shots store where you'd go in and you'd like wear a feather boa and they'd shoot you shoot you through like four promist filters and uh (laughs) that's the picture that would be on your husband or wife's desk at work yeah i guess so it's depressing to see how far laptops are scheduled to backslide in the 24th (laughs) century (laughs) because i'm sitting here recording my side of this show on a laptop that's like substantially less than an inch thick with like a super high res bright beautiful color display (laughs) cisco's got like 
Got like a nine inch screen on a three inch thick piece of shit. <laughs> Dude, you're getting a Dell. I wonder if eyesight has gotten so much better in the 24th century that it means Cisco doesn't need to lean into his screen like he clearly would have to if he had modern eyesight. Like, yeah. he's totally leaned back in his desk chair in a way that would make what he's looking at on screen completely illegible to you and me. Eagle eye Cisco doesn't need to lean in. Yeah. This is all just some some fun and games that is quickly derailed by uh, the announcement that uh, Kaiopaka has made a unannounced and apparently un- unaccompanied visit to Space Station Deep Space Nine. She has just like popped up like the doctor was like digging out some medical supplies from a shuttle and she just like hops out and is like, hey, I'm here. Tell Cisco. Want to hang? She's the most important person on Bajor, and yet, like, to be totally unaccompanied, she's never left Bajor, which was a bit of trivia about her that I found surprising. Yeah. She somehow escaped the protection of her secret service, which you know she has. She has no valets with her. She has no dick valets, Ben. Uh, have, you, have you ever seen those uh, documentaries that Oliver Stone made about uh, Fidel Castro? No. They're like, they're really, there's two of them and they're really weird because uh, he's just, it's just Oliver Stone kind of in conversation with Castro in Cuba and um, they're subtitled, but there's also an interpreter there like translating for Castro. So you get the English two ways and it doesn't always agree. Very distracting films. But uh, I was struck by a sequence in one of them where... Uh, Oliver Stone and Castro are just like walking around in the streets of Havana, like greeting people and like talking to people. And, uh, you know, George Bush was president when I saw this this film and it was very like striking, like, you know, George Bush cannot possibly just walk around on a street outside somewhere. Well, sure. It's because he couldn't read street signs. Sure. (laughs) Right. But, uh, you know, like Castro's safety was so insured in Havana that he didn't feel like worried about like walking around outside, you know. This was before the that one video that surfaced of him falling off stage, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it uh I I just thought it was like interesting the idea that the essentially the pope of Bajor yeah. like has has this kind of is like brimming with this kind of confidence. Like the Bajorans are like not a homogenous group of people that all agree on uh, what's good for Bajor, you know, like, but she is like, they do all agree that Kaiopaka is great. Even though she looks like a Shriner Pope. <laughs> Shriner Pope, who's, uh, who's just off work from her job at, at the Ren Fair. Yeah. Hey, uh, hey, Ben, you know where you can find Oliver Stone films at the video store? Where, Adam? Back and to the left. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Tickets still on sale for San Francisco Sketchfest. <laughs> a, ni- a full two weeks of the best in comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Featuring yours truly, Adam Pranica. Amazing that a comedy festival would even allow us to uh, be associated with them. I'm pretty sure that joke unwound uh, the offer that they extended to us. <laughs> yeah, Show's you canceled, look, guys. If you look in the contract, there's some specific <laughs> language forbidding that kind of thing. 
So, so Opaka is pretty keen to get a load of the wormhole, and they're like, oh, well, that's too bad. Like, we'd show you out the window here, but uh, there's not really any ships scheduled to uh, to go through it today, so it's nothing, uh, nothing to see. And there's kind of like a couple of beats of uncomfortable silence, and then Cisco looks around and he's like, Prepare the Yangtze Kion for launch, Chief. Kira and I are taking the Kai through the wormhole. Road trip! <laughs> They're like, uh, get the runabout with the with the ragtop. Get the thing gassed up. Yeah. Let's get the, this thing going. O'Brien doesn't go on this trip, but he sort of like readies the Winnebago for, for their journey. <laughs> and, uh, and he sort of runs into Opaka outside the door. And Opaka like stares deeply into his eyes and she's like, you have a tremendous pain in your soul, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Takes off her necklace and gives it to uh, to O'Brien to give to his daughter, not really having the heart to tell him that uh, soon he'll only be seeing her like every second Tuesday. <laughs> I mean, like this is uh, yeah, like yet another moment in this show that is just like uh, an RPG where there's kind of a a talismanic object given by one character to another. And uh, I'll be interested to see if they pay that pay that necklace gag off. I mean, you know, it's not like she just picked that up at the Claire's on the promenade on her way there. That thing's important. <laughs> Give your daughter this appointment for her first ear piercing at <laughs> Deep Space Claire's. <laughs> <laughs> It's just it's it's Rom with uh, like the ear piercing gun. <laughs> Every Ferengi watches the the ear get pierced and just cringes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they like instinctively cross their legs. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I never thought about that. Getting your ears pierced for a Frankie must just be the worst thing in the whole wide world. Yeah, I don't think we've seen that. No pierced eared Ferengis. Um but the but the Kai is is seeming a little like distant, a little withdrawn. Um somebody says that she seems really preoccupied and um You'd think they'd set her up with like a, a Pope Mobile runabout, right? Yeah. A lot with more the, the uh, glass enclosure. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 just the regular one, and um, you know, like she thanks them for for letting her her uh, you know for indulging her with the road trip. Um, they go through, and uh, they're picking up some like distress signals the second they get to the other side of the wormhole, and they're like, "Well, we should like drop a probe and head home." And she's like, "Well, don't do that on my account. Like, I came for an adventure, guys. Like, let's uh, let's go see. Let me uh, let me watch you Starfleets in action." Like in a horror movie, this is the scene where they drive past a hitchhiker, and yeah. the two people, the two people in the front seat, are like, "Well, it's a good thing we don't pick up hitchers." <laughs> and the new person in the back is like, "Well, maybe, uh, maybe they just need a ride to the next town. It'd be fun to have someone else to talk to." Yeah. Smash uh, cut to extremely scary person sitting in the back seat with everyone. Mm-hmm. They head toward this planet. And uh, they're picking up, like, a network of satellites in orbit, which uh, would indicate uh, some sort of civilization down on the surface below. But the the scanners don't work that good. 
and uh, one of the satellites comes out and meets them and is sufficiently powerful that it knocks the runabout out of the sky and they do a classic Star Trek uh, plummeting through the clouds cut to black crash sound effect. All this show is willing to show you are the bangers being dropped on the runabout. It never shows the the process of the crash land. Yeah, Too expensive, is, Ben. This is an episode that at one point uh, shows the process of a of one of the one of the satellites taking out a Starfleet probe by just showing it represented by like Nintendo NES level graphics on a screen. God, I know. Like these probes are you could argue the most important things in this episode. We never see one. Yeah. Opaka during the crash landing is loving it. Every once in a while they cut back to her and she's like smiling with the confidence of someone who's like enjoying an amusement park ride, like yeah. sort of enjoying the terror of it, but knowing that at the end, like the bar's going to come up and she's going to go get an elephant ear or something. Yeah, she's like licking her lips. She's like, oh man, should I make a funny face for the part where they take a picture of you? <laughs> <laughs> her enjoyment does not last long. They uh, blow the explosive bolts on the escape hatch of the runabout and uh, scramble out onto... Uh, planet anybody canyon and the kai is like just clinging to life and bashir attempts to do some some chest compressions and uh and she shuffles loose this mortal coil i'm sorry what to say that you only meant well Ben, I'm no medical professional, but uh, Bashir mentions that she has uh, fractured her cervical spine. And uh, I gotta say, I don't think chest compressions are a good idea with uh, a patient who's injured in that way. <laughs> yeah, I do. How, how similar are Bajorans on the inside to people's? Well, I don't know. Because like, we know that like, like Klingons have like multiple hearts, right? Like, you can't stab a Klingon in the heart and have that kill them. The ground doesn't look very soft if you're just going to press on an old lady's chest who has also broken their back. Yeah. I think you gotta... Like, why doesn't the runabout have the uh, the kit that you find in a shopping mall today? Like, the uh, with that you put the patches on the heart attack victim's chest, and then the box just sort of does the work. <laughs> they need a box that does the work, because Bashir, with only a tricorder, like, they didn't pack for this trip well at all, Ben. No, and... Like, they're going on a road trip with an old, and they didn't bother to bring any, like, uh, heart medication or whatever. And Bashir's talked a lot of shit about how Deep Space Nine is his opportunity to make a hero of himself because of all the frontier medicine he'll be doing. Like, come on, man. Tricorder is not gonna cut it. <laughs> Yeah, this is like, this tantamount to like slapping Kaiopaka around with a wagon wheel. Like, he doesn't have the tools or the knowledge to save her. Yeah. We witness another death in this scene, Ben. RSVP Yangtze Kang. Yeah. Uh, and But the Kai's, the Kai's death uh, is a, an opportunity for Nana Visitor to uh, to do some like real big grief acting and... I, this this really gave me goosebumps. I think she did a great job with this scene because she's kind of she's kind of doing death rites, uh, you know, like she's saying some uh, some prayer in uh, 
I guess the Bajoran language as she, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as she deals with the the pain of losing this uh, important spiritual figure in her life, and uh, and it's like. I don't know, like Cisco and Bashir are like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like it does not mean the same thing to them, but uh, it doesn't really matter to, to Kira. Like she really throws herself into this. I was also thinking that uh, Alexander Siddig and Avery Brooks were also looking at each other in this scene like, whoa, <laughs> because like Nana Visitor here is willing to ugly cry. And as great as she is in this scene, like she really gives TV acting more than TV acting asks of her. Yeah. In this scene and in many others, you know, like she's really willing to go there in a great way that really, really makes you sit up. I think. Yeah. She's, uh, she's dedicated to this character in a way that like, (laughs) if you think back to like early TNG seasons, especially season one, I feel like, to a certain extent, everybody in the main cast is like, all right, when is this going to be over? <laughs> like, there's pilot season coming up. Like, I want to I want to try out for a real show. <laughs> what was the greatest amount of emotion shown on TNG? I, I'm struggling to come up with an example that goes as far as Kira does in this moment. Yeah. I mean- like, even when Tasha Yar died... No one cried, to my knowledge. No, they they had a stunned silence, I think. When Riker's driving the ship through Wolf 359, <laughs> uh, no one's crying then. No. Mostly people were pissed at Admiral Halsey. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe Admiral Halsey like went, went to the bathroom and looked at himself in the mirror and was like, fuck! Fuck! <laughs> yeah. I, I am so ill-equipped for this moment. <laughs> Fuck! Oh, God! Um, well, there... Can you imagine the panic shit that Halsey took before Wolf 359? <laughs> like, it was total evacuation, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Good Lord. Like, I've taken some panic shits before our live shows before that that felt fairly gripping. Yeah. But nothing, nothing that's Halsey level. No, no. <laughs> Yeah. Even you can't rise to Halsey level panic shit. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Kira is having having this moment and it kind of gets interrupted because um low rent Mickey Rourke and his buddies come out of a cave nearby. And uh we get to know these guys. These guys are um members of a a group called the Ennis, and the Ennis are uh, some bad mamajamas that are really surprised to have any kind of strangers on their planet, and they're pretty. They're also pretty surprised that the uh, that these strangers don't know anything about them. You know, like there's some kind of like so you don't know anything about the punishment. If you haven't realized we're at war. All right. Well, that's interesting. Anyways, we'll protect you from our hated enemies, the Noel Ennis. A brutal enemy that attacks at whim. You know, Cisco is like, is like, hey, man, like, you know, we got to stay out of that kind of shit. Like, we're, we're not really interested in that. We're waiting for our rescue party. They'll be along shortly. But, uh, you know, we got a doctor with us, and he'll, he'll look at that weird patch of flesh on your forehead if you if you need silence of the land uh the leader the anise is played by jonathan banks ben 
sort of a, a that guy of through the years, most notably from uh, Breaking Bad. He's Mike Ehrmantraut. I'm uh, not a fan of Breaking Bad, so I, have, I didn't recognize him from that. To me, I thought they made him up. Like, if you're just sort of spitballing what the makeup and costuming is going to be for Golan Shalah, uh, I think you probably hold up a picture of Khan just before he sets off the Genesis device on the Reliant. <laughs> Like, he's totally lazy-eyed, and his hair's kind of on fire, and, like, yeah. half of his skull, his scalp was peeled back. Yeah. His hair is nicely on fire in this episode, I will, I will say. Little more of a hair part than, than you want. <laughs> yeah. If you're styling your own hair, I think. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta like... Very severe part. Use a little less of a wrist twist when you're, when you're parting <laughs> your hair, because that is... Uh, it's doing some damage. Sometimes you don't want to cut the comb through your own hair. You want to use your fingers to do the part. Yeah. A little bit of a messy part can look nice. Right. It looks a little, you know, a little sprezzatura, a little, a little, uh, you know, dashing unevenness. Uh, you might take some notes from Dr. Bashir. He's got a, he's got a, a dashing disheveledness to him. Yeah. So Bashir starts, uh, starts doing some... You know, some laying on of hands, trying to help out these people, and and sort of like mid mid conversation, the Noel Ennis attack, and it's like it's another one of these Deep Space Nine gunfights where like nobody is behind cover and everybody's just kind of shooting willy nilly, and uh, and I was like I was like oh come on guys, and then. The, the reason for this fight being this, this way is actually revealed. Like, Kira is like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? You don't have any strategy for, like, guarding your territory. You don't have systems in place for, like, alerting people, like, deeper in the caves that the people at the front of the cave are getting attacked. Like, what is your problem? You're not trying to hide from each other? Like, like it's fucking laser tag or something? Yeah, like, like they get through this battle, and the only people left standing are Kira... Bashir and Cisco, like literally everybody else is dead or dying and they're like standing around. Bashir is like a chicken with his head cut off trying to decide who to treat first. And uh, and they look up and into the cave walks the previously dead Kaiopaka. Throughout Star Trek, I feel like there's a real... Uh, there's a real lack of people acting surprised when it's appropriate to be surprised. <laughs> They're looking at zombie Kaiopaka, and no one goes, holy shit! <laughs> oh! or, or like, kill her! Kill zombie Opaka! <laughs> like, like, there's never that moment, and I feel like that would be totally grounded in reality. Like, it's okay to act crazy when something crazy happens yeah i mean it's kind of a it's a it's a moment of awe and it, sure it, like maybe the most odd person in the scene is opaka like she walks in like wide-eyed and like almost jaw dropped doesn't make a lot of sense to her she turns to bashir and she's like i don't know what you were thinking back there with those chest compressions <laughs> extremely painful doctor they're like kai kai what do you what do you remember about what happened she's like okay well we came out of the sky we crashed and then you guys pulled me out and then i was like trying to breathe but this asshole <laughs> just kept slamming his hands into my chest and did you know my body was on top of a couple of rocks <laughs> 
a moment later, all the other dead people start waking up too, Ben. Yeah. Uh, also to to medium surprise by everyone. <laughs> yeah. And so what we learn is that the like the punishment that this guy had alluded to um, is that they have eternal life and they're kind of doomed to just fight this war with each other forever. And uh, and anytime they die, they they come back alive, which is why they don't you know care that much about strategy or tactics in their war because none of it really matters. And so the idea of like living forever being punished forever yeah is a is a is a special sort of awful it's an insanely bleak idea for star trek and i mean it's it it sort of confounds reason but i think that there's like sectarian violence all over the world that's sort of like this where it's just like guys like this is something that you're great grandparents were pissed off at each other over can we just like drop the thing but it's like you know somehow, somehow you can't and and like it's the worst punishment. Yeah, it is. It's like, like they can't die, hell. but they also can't really win. Like there's no yeah. there's no resolution because all they can do is like make each other more and more miserable. I wish we got uh, the Groundhog Day montage of all the ways in which they tried to get out of this <laughs> arrangement. Yeah. Well, drowning didn't work, and neither did fire. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, Jonathan Banks uh, tried to cut his own hair with an axe, <laughs> and that's why he looks that way. <laughs> yeah, I thought they would have been more scarred for a people that have lived for hundreds of years, uh, being unable to die. I wonder if they looked like this when they got there. You know, like they were already scarred yeah. from their from their war on their other planet. They come from a planet where they were, like, engaged in a sectarian conflict for generations and generations. And it sounds like the kind of, like, world government, some body that was above the level of this of this conflict, uh, just kind of, like, solved, solved the problem of these two groups of people hating each other by shipping them all to this moon and making an example out of them. Like, if you guys, if you guys can't, Resolve your problems nicely. This is what will happen. So, so Bashir figures out that uh, that people on this planet are filled with a form of nanite that sort of like resurrects them on a cellular level. Yeah, that's the that's the reason they keep dying and waking back up again. Got to get some of those nanites. It seems like one of the things that's never mentioned is like how this power seems like something that that may be able to be leveraged, but no one ever considers that, right? Like it is a it's a form of punishment and punishment only. Right. But it sure seems like if you could save someone's life in a constructive way, this might be worth researching. Well, and it's also a punishment that only works if they keep being brutal to each other, you know? Like the hardness of it it kind of is couched in in their mutual hatred. Yeah, they've never never tried diplomacy, I guess. Yeah. Diplomacy's for quitters. <laughs> yeah. So meanwhile, uh Dax and O'Brien have piled into one of the other runabouts and head headed through through the wormhole to look for them cuz the government back on uh, on Bajor is basically flipping out. They're like, "Uh yeah, so our spiritual leader uh, 
apparently got in a Winnebago with like a handful of people from your space station and went to the opposite side of the galaxy. And uh, we haven't heard from her. And we're really fucking worried. <laughs> I wish we saw the FaceTime of the of the panicked security officer in Kaiopaka's room with the the Ferris Bueller dummy sitting up in its bed <laughs> and the snore machine on. Like, yeah. we've been duped. Like, I feel like this would have been a, an interesting opportunity to do a little exposition about where Bajor is at in terms of, like, capabilities. Like, do they have ships? Is the military organization that Kira is a part of equipped enough to like put a hard target search together because it seems like this would be something that they would want to devote some resources to but they kind of cruise past that and uh it it's up to Miles and Dax in a in a runabout to uh to solve this problem so they head through the wormhole and they find the like warp trail and they're you know searching searching the system where the Yang Qian went missing and they find this this moon that everything's taking place on but uh, O'Brien realizes that the network of satellites is something that they've got to be pretty worried about because the uh, you know si- since the last runabout went down they have to assume that something something in orbit of this planet is is shooting down planes O'Brien's really the hero of this episode he he pulls up without a satellite shooting down his runabout. He's the one that's tasked with figuring out how to penetrate this shield of satellites. I feel like this is like TNG style problem solving. Like like he's he's kind of like pulling out the data in Jordy playbook and coming up with a cool technological solution on the fly. Cisco the entire time is filled with the confidence of someone who believes in his heart that O'Brien and Dax will save his ass. Our rescue is not going to take years. Days, weeks, maybe. But they will find us. And then they'll penetrate the defense net and transport us out of here. Yeah. He's like making promises based on uh, the premise that Dax and O'Brien, who he has not yet talked to, will be there soon enough. He's like, we'd be willing to transport all of you away from here if that's what you want. Listen. Everybody, I know that you're fighting. I know that you've been fighting for hundreds, maybe thousands of years, uh, for as long as any of you can remember. Uh, but what I propose is that we take you all away from this place. We can, you know, put the Ennis on one planet and the Null Ennis on another. You guys can live out the rest of your natural lives and then die normally and uh, and stop, you know, this horrible, bleak-ass shit that you guys have been up to for all this time. I don't expect you to understand this, but no one is as motivated as someone who's in the midst of marital estrangement. <laughs> and a man up there in that runabout works the longest hours of anyone on the station because he doesn't want to go home. If anyone can save us, it's Miles O'Brien. Trust me on this. The Ennis and the Noel Ennis are like, listen, man, like you seem pretty cool. I think it's it's cool that you flipped that chair around and sat on it backwards and everything, but we don't really know you, so how can we trust you? And especially the Noel Ennis guy, he's, he's, like, he's like, you've been hanging out with these Ennis asswipes for days. Like, how do I know that this isn't just a trick for them to draw all my people out into, into the open and then, you know, slaughter them painfully? The Knoll Innes really look like Team Daniel Boone to me. 
Like Daniel <laughs> Boone versus uh, the Road Warriors. They've really chosen their sides yeah. uh, with costuming here. It's like uh, it's like Daniel Boone fucked one of the rebels from the beginning of Star Wars. Sure. Um. Yeah. So this uh, this like uh, this like first attempt at diplomacy by Cisco devolves into them just cutting each other up with knives on sticks, and uh, in in the midst of the fight, like somebody is about to throw a hatchet at Cisco, and Bashir saves Cisco like just barely and it's like hey man we can't afford to die here i just figured out something about science (laughs) no time to explain right now you don't really need to justify saving cisco's life here (laughs) yeah it sort of presupposes that cisco believes he's gonna live forever on the planet yeah even though that part like he never expresses that idea yeah. And that should have been something that he asked when Kaiopaka showed up. Like, that would have been my first question. As soon as we see Kaiopaka, I would have turned to the doctor and been like, so can can we all uh, live forever on this planet? Yeah. I'd want to know that right away. Don't want to make an assumption like that. You want to know for sure if you're going to be grandfathered into immortality. Right. The problem here is that the nanorobots that are making everybody resurrect rely on something about the local ecology of this planet to work. And anybody that has died here that's taken off the planet will succumb to the death that they already died. So they can't leave with Opaka. And they're like, oh, shit, like, who's going to tell her? (laughs) This is going to be a really awkward conversation. (laughs) Yeah, and so it's Cisco and not Kira that does. Well, he's like about to, and she's like, I'll be staying, Commander. And they're like, what? And she's like, listen, like, I'm a spiritual person. Like, I like prophecies have been have been telling me that this is going to be what I did my entire life. And I think that Opaka's like, I think that one thing that I never loved about Deep Space Nine was how much it is about religion and faith and spirituality, which are. You know, things that I, you know, at various times in my life have had great reverence for and a total lack of respect for and something in the middle. Mm-hmm. But it's like I don't personally have a like like a major like faith aspect to my personality. Like I like going to uh, high holiday services uh, around the, uh, the high holidays with my wife, but... Um, I'm, I don't like consider myself Jewish or a Christian or, or really anything. So like, it's always been a little bit of like a thing that bugged me about the series is that like it took Trek, which wasn't ever much about that and made it a lot about that. But, and in Kaiopaka, she says something like pretty early on that in the, in the episode, like this is like me testing a prophecy. Like prophecies are not always like super clear what they mean. So you have to test them, which is uh, not so much religion as it is science. And it made me kind of understand the Bajoran religion in a different way. Hmm. And like, you know, I don't think the Bajoran religion is ever like totally fleshed out, but it made me think that maybe it's more of a like wave for a people to be, spiritual and like have the kind of like community benefits of religion without it having like like a supernatural aspect like like they know that the prophets are 
some external force, but and they choose to talk about them as prophets, but they're not rounding them up to just like some kind of all thing that is, you know, that has an unknowable agenda and can't be like understood from a scientific perspective. I think my issue with it is similar to your issue with Q in that creatively the idea of of religion or spirituality resolving uh, story problems right. feels super super crutchy to me. Yeah, totally. And and like so if you're if you're trying to break an episode like this and you get to the end and you're like, well, with a figure like Kaiopaka, let's just have her say that it's it's her it's part of her predestination and leave it at that. Like that is a very easy, neat way to resolve this that is a little too much of a gift that that the idea of religion can give a character on this show. You know, like hmm. uh in harder sci fi I think it asks you to create more. Like create the answer out of science. That's sci fi. I would I would agree with you. Except for the way uh, Camille Saviola plays Kaiopaka in the in the last scene, really makes it about like her making a an active choice. Like she's mm. been a religious leader and has like kind of risen to the top of her game, and now she wants like a real challenge kind of thing. And so she she's like like her her me her reason for staying here on this planet is not, I'm going to die if you take me away. It's, I want to attempt to build bridges between these two people that hate each other. And when they beam up, they cut to a close-up of her face, and it's pretty clear, to me at least, that like the gravity of this choice that she's made is kind of washing over her. Like she's She has made a really intense career move here. Yeah, but what choice did she have? It wasn't a choice. It's it's die or stay. Right, but she's made that she made the choice before she knew that. That's why I, I think know. it's so interesting. I feel like if they came to her and were like, "Hey, listen, like bad news, but we can't we can't leave with you." And she's like, "Oh, well, I guess I can like find some good in this by, you know, devoting myself to building peace between these people." Would have been a, a cornier ending to me. Yeah, that's true. Still a fair amount of corn yeah. in the ending of this episode. She puts Kira in a real awkward position because he's like, hey, when you get back to Bajor, tell all of our people that I did uh, <laughs> that I did this willingly. <laughs> yeah, don't kill the messenger there. They'll take Jeez. your word for it. You're Kira. A minor operative. There's a lot of like spiritual enabling that Kaiopaka does with Kira. Like, there's a scene where Kira's, like, going hog wild about, like, teaching the people how to fight and, like, mm-hmm. let's get these guys trained up and ready to kill. And Kaiopaka, like, sort of brings Kira to her, to kneel in front of her and sort of, like, pulls an epiphany out of her ear the way that, like, a grandpa pulls a quarter out of a grandchild's <laughs> ear. <laughs> And it's never really explained, but it looks like uh, Kaiopaka like has the power of touch. You got the touch. You got the power to sort of touch Epiphany. Yeah. People, and so Kira just sort of like looks up and is like, "Oh, I finally get it. Like, I, I understand what my nature is, and I understand why I act the way that I do." And I'm, 
I'm wondering as someone who doesn't have a lot of experience with Deep Space Nine, like whether or not we see a real pivot in Kira's character after that moment, because it appears that she had a, a profound epiphany in that scene. Right. That she's like a creature of violence and that, and that, you know, she's been in, in denial about that in the post-war yeah. period. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the other interesting theme that the episode explores is like how set in their way the, the Ennis and the Null Ennis are like when they, when Bashir realizes what the nanites are and, is like, oh, like, well, maybe I can figure out a way to cure them. Like, the Ennis guy, like, the only thing he can think about is, like, we'll use it on the other guys, and <laughs> then they'll die, and they'll all be dead, and we'll win. Like, like that's the only way he can, like, conceptualize using a medical intervention. You know what's so fucking weird about that reaction is that, you know, earlier on in the episode, uh, Golan Shala seems to need the idea of death like as a form of peace like oh god finally like like this there's this this dream of ours that we've had of finally dying and when he's given the idea of that 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 he immediately perverts it into a weapon is so weird to me right it's like it's like the uh the greatest gift he could give the bad guys yeah so what what does he really want does he want to die or does he want to win the war? Because if he were to win the war, then then what? Would he want to die right after and die a winner? I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, but that's the thing about some of these, like these conflicts that like if you're not in them, it's it's really hard to empathize with the like the point of view of the people that are. Yeah, did you like this episode, Ben? I really did. Like I don't I I obviously don't think it's a perfect episode, but I thought it had a bunch of really interesting ideas in it and a bunch of great performances. Like, I think for the first time, Bashir is starting to seem, like, humanized and not just, like, there to be a creepy weirdo character. Um, I like the roles that a lot of the characters got. uh, And I like the, like like set up some interesting premises and really chewed on them. I think I like the episode too. I really like what it did to O'Brien. It made it elevated him out of Chief O'Brien, Deep Space Nine janitor and turned him <laughs> into like a competent engineer person. Yeah. Yeah. Um to the utter exclusion of Dax, who really does nothing except ride shotgun in this episode. She does nothing here. Yeah. And I think um is is Quark even in the episode? Uh, no, I don't think so. Not that I can remember. Not memorable, if so. Um, I thought that the leader of the, uh, the Noel Ennis might be Neil Breen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know about Neil Breen? Tell me about Neil Breen. Neil Breen is a guy who, he's kind of like the, a little bit like, um, the guy that made The Room. He He's like a, <laughs> a crazy weirdo that... Um, has sort of an unknowable provenance and claims to like be an architect and real estate agent, but is now making like vanity project feature films that he, you know, writes, directs, and stars in. Sure. And uh, they've they've reviewed a couple of his movies on uh, on uh, the Flop House here on MaximumFun.org, and uh, 
<laughs> I've I've only watched one of them, Fateful Findings, but it's like a really fucking unbelievable artifact of you know the ramblings of a crazy person, and uh, the leader of the Nolanists looks just like him. Uh, but it's not him. Neil no, did sadly, not make it is it not. All the way to the summit of bit part in DS Nine. <laughs> well, didn't that's make how you it. know you've made it. Yeah. Mm. Adam, uh, should we uh, check our inbox, see if we have any Priority One messages? You know you've made a P1 message if we read it, Ben. <laughs> Let's see what we got in the box. It's the only way to find out for sure. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here. First is from Austin Harper. Hey, we know Austin. Yeah, he's the he's the mod of our Facebook group, right? Yeah, uh, and it is for everybody. And everybody! it goes like this. <laughs> it goes like this. Rez and Plavim both seem like great guys, but the rascals can go fuck themselves. Hashtag Team Plavim for life. P.S. Everybody is welcome in the Facebook group, whether you're Team Plavim or if you're wrong. <laughs> Very good. Damn. Wow. There's going to be. I just a... wondering where Team Plavim was. Here they are. Yeah. I feel like there could be there could be a real a real schism in the Facebook group after after this. Well, when you're on when you've picked a faction and then aligned yourself with a mod, it's <laughs> a pretty powerful ally, I think. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't Rascals have their own Facebook organizing committee now? They do, but I don't know if they've wrangled a mod in with them. Maybe <laughs> maybe that's who the Gooch is. Oh. Who Shout knows? out to the Gooch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, uh, as good a time as any to thank Austin for the great work he does uh, maintaining the Facebook group. Um, yeah, no kidding. We don't Austin deserve Harper, him. Austin Harper, more than uh, Facebook group janitor, that's yeah. for sure. The Miles O'Brien of our Facebook group. <laughs> Thanks, Austin. <laughs> ben, our second priority one message is from Emily. It is for Andrew. Message goes like this. You're braver than Worf, wiser than Picard, and sexier than Riker. And with a better beard. You're a better cat dad than Data, <laughs> and the best dad in the galaxy. We're five years into our mission, and the sky's the limit. You're my best friend, and I love you. Happy anniversary. Ah. Uh... I wish I could write an anniversary card as eloquent as that. That's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Beautiful sentiment, Emily. You're uh, you're a lucky dude, Andrew. Yeah, seriously. Count your lucky stars, dude. Well, well if you'd like to send a Priority One message, uh, it's real easy. You go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, and commercial messages are 200 bucks, and personal messages are 100 bucks, and they are a great way to support the production of The Greatest Generation, colon, Deep Space Nine. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. 
drunk Shimoda. Sure did. Uh, it's another one of the timestamp Shimodas. Oh yeah, Ben. Those are those are our favorites. Some of our favorites, I think. Uh, if you scrub to forty minutes and thirty seconds, it's a scene where Kai Opaka has sort of uh, embraced the gravity of her, of her circumstance. She's like, "Well, maybe it's time for me to be here and counsel these people." And then she says. It is time for these people to begin their healing process. And then they rack focus to a lady behind her. (laughs) This lady behind her is like, fuck you. I don't need your help. (laughs) Stay out of our business, lady. (laughs) That look on her face. I don't know how you direct that out of someone. But like these people do not need or want Kaiopaka's help. I thought that moment was like, just a glaring emotional misfire. <laughs> it stuck out like a sore thumb to me. So that lady in the background who doesn't want any of her damn help is my drunk Shimoda. Nice. Um, well, speaking of people in the background, um, <laughs> I'm giving mine to Kaiopaka for her performance in the uh, the runabout is going down scene. There's a. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will also give you a timestamp uh, if we go right. to. 10 minutes and 25 seconds. Um, Cisco is uh, is in the foreground and Kaiopaka is in soft po- focus in the background, kind of praying, but also just licking her chops <laughs> in anticipation of this <laughs> <What>? crash. <laughs> gets, a, gets a big old lip, lick on those lips. Oh, she does. <laughs> what is up with that? <laughs> She's like, num, 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 num. Mm, yummy crash. That atmosphere is going to cook us alive. <laughs> I love the taste of my shattered vertebrae. Damok, Angelad, and A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you 
with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode is season one, episode 13, The Storyteller. Against his will, O'Brien becomes the spiritual leader of a Bajoran village and the only one that can save them from a destructive energy force. Oh, goody. Yeah. I, I've, I've long wanted a, uh, an O'Brien as Christ allegory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's time. <laughs> it's something we've both suspected for a while. All right, shall I uh, generate a random number to determine if we are going to be getting housed in this episode? Ben, briefly describe the rules one more time, if you would. So the number of... We have a, a one out of the number of episodes in a season chance of, of drinking for any given episode. Not have, episodes remaining in the season. Total right. number, number of episodes in a season. I think that's where a lot of people are getting hung up. Yeah, yeah. We never said that thing about it would be episodes remaining, but somehow, somehow that's what got out there. Uh, so, for the purposes of this season, we're going a 1 in 15 chance. And I am generating the number, and it is a 10. So, once again, we will be having a mostly dry episode. <laughs> Hashtag never dry. <laughs> uh, Adam, before we, uh, before we close this out, um, I, uh, this is long, long overdue. Something that um, something that was sent in in October, and I totally forgot to uh, play it on the show until now. But uh, listener Jake sent in a uh, a 
kind of a mash up song based on uh, the song The Cisco Kid by War, <laughs> where he uh, he dropped in a whole bunch of Deep Space Nine sounds, and uh, and it's it's real fun. So we're going to play that uh, after the credits here on the end of the episode, and uh, stick around for it. It's really fun. What an inspired combo. Yeah, good stuff. Well, if you're inspired by anything we've said on this show, <laughs> uh, I would encourage you to talk about it on one of our many social media outlets. We've got a Facebook page and a Reddit group, and we're on Twitter, probably more than is healthy these days. Yeah. Uh, find us over there using the hashtag GreatestGen. Find a friend over there. We hear all the time about what great places these are to chat and hang out and escape from the nightmare that is daily life yeah the uh social media has has uh has not been a fun place to be but for the greatest gen community yeah uh, of late and so we want to appreciate all of you guys for being such a positive force in our lives and uh we'll try and uh, be a positive force in your lives as a as a big thank you for that uh, really appreciate all the support the show gets at MaximumFun.org slash donate. Uh, we cannot keep doing the show without listener support, and we really appreciate that. Yeah. We should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusea for a growing number of uh, song clips that are taking over the <laughs> Deep Space Nine uh, version of The Greatest Generation in a great, great way. Uh, and we'll and and we'll thank the folks at MaximumFun.org who uh, provide a ton of support for the program as well. So uh, Love those if guys. You, if you uh, if you need a new podcast in your life, and uh, the greatest generation, the greatest discovery, and the upcoming Friendly Fire aren't going to fill all the holes in your listening schedule, I would highly recommend checking out some Maximum Fun podcasts. They're great. Fill all your holes. That's fill what them Ben's all. Saying. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, I, sorry, I'm stepping on your outro. <laughs> I got to give it the right energy, Ben. Yeah. I don't want to sound like I'm a hostage here. <laughs> with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. On an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that turns the lowly lava lamp into <laughs> a scary antagonist. <laughs>
what this is all about. You are absolutely right. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.